Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bass. And thank you for listening, David. How you doing? I'm doing great. I got a very busy uh, couple of weeks ahead of me. I'm in town, and then I'm yeah. going to Sundance. Yeah, um, which is why I wanted to mention to the listeners before uh, we got too far um, that next week's episode will be up late mm-hmm. because of my schedule. Sometimes if one of us or the other can't record, we'll find a guest host or whatever. But right. like the episode we're doing next week is something we both want to be, need, need to be present for. Yeah. So it'll be up. So normally our episodes go up Sunday night, Monday morning. This will be Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. So just mm. a heads up. If there's no new episode next Monday, don't email us. It's, it's right. coming. Um, it, it'll just be, it'll just be a little late uh, for scheduling reasons. So um, yeah, but, that's why I'm looking down the barrel of a busy couple of weeks. But those of you who are Patreon subscribers, don't you worry. You <laughs> still have weekly content coming unless of course you're a, a, a swabby, in which case you've got monthly comment. Uh, you're at the level. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's a $2 level. You can go to patreoncom slash battle yeah. pretension and join uh, for as little as $2 a month. If you want one episode, $5 a month, if you want four episodes and $10, yeah month if you want four episodes with video yes and previous commentaries past episodes that kind of right, thing yeah, ten dollars unlocks uh just a wonderful kingdom of uh well just us i guess yeah that's but, the admiralty uh, indeed yes oh yes um <laughs> but uh okay so what's on your mind so i don't know exactly where this came about um so I, without going into detail, I've been, uh, David, I've been cheating on us and writing for other websites. Um, well, so have I, as I mentioned. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, one of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one of them is, is more like politics based. And my whole point, my whole goal there is to, uh, get people who tuned in for politics talking about movies. Um, okay. It's working <laughs> okay to a point but nonetheless uh so there have been so because of that between that and then um conversations that have been having in the in you know the critical realm this time of year of course uh i've just been thinking more about just from a, a personal standpoint and i think a lot of people can probably relate to this and i wish i i wish i didn't but uh this feeling of like you know, I've never lied on this show uh, about oh. what I like or don't like. Oh, okay. I've never lied about that. I've lied on the show. Oh, but no, yeah. that, no, no, I lie constantly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not about my taste in movies. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I will say that uh, there is a constant, th- this kind of uh, piggybacks on something that I was talking about with you and Scott uh, a few, uh, like a month or two ago. Um, the idea of like imposter syndrome, it's this sort of an offshoot of that, that I'm perpetually aware of the movies that I'm supposed to like and the movies I'm not. Okay. And, and as, and I think when I was younger, I, I, I could talk myself into not liking something that I did like and into liking something that I didn't. Um, now that was always rooted in having a genuine understanding of why a person could like something or why a person couldn't. Um, and, uh, I think as I, maybe it's just as you get older, it's not so much that I don't give a shit, but it's just like, you know, if I can't be a hundred percent honest with myself, um, or at least just own up to like who I am and have enough faith in myself to be like, yeah, my opinion means something. It's fine. Even if only to myself. Um, so I think as, as time has gone on and, and I think in the future, I'm really going to try and just let myself like the things that I like. You should. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, that's a good point of view. While it's once again, it's not anywhere near my top 10. I like Jojo rabbit. 
Okay, you're fuck everybody. To, um, but also, see that this is you also get so far inside of your bubble yes. that like lots of people like JoJo. I Rabbit. know, but for the most part, I don't care about them <laughs> <laughs> because that that's the other thing is I also value certain people's opinion more. Yeah, and the people whose opinions I tend to value more. They don't really, you know, they don't really I'm, like I'm that. I'm flattered. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and that's the thing is like, well, it's Noel, Noel Murray liked it. The, the critic. Oh, f- oh yeah. 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 Oh, but yeah, a lot of critics, uh, did like it. And again, like yeah, I'm sure I, there's others besides Noel Murray, but I like Noel no, Murray. It's the I, only I follow one. <laughs> him on Twitter. So I know that, uh, you know, I don't think I would have nominated for picture, um, or anything like that, but it's just a film that like so many people have like a, a almost a seething hatred of it. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty facile. Like it could be doing so much more, but at the same time, it's like it could be doing more and it's not. And at some point I have to, assume uh, like I want to assume the best of a director and sometimes you can't. Uh, but in the case of Taika Waititi, yeah. I think he's a smart enough director and I think a sensitive enough, enough director that if he doesn't pursue something, he must have a reason. And so the, now I may not agree with his reasoning, but at the very least I have to be like, okay, I want to try and see where he is coming from. And in the case of something like Jojo rabbit, um, it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's not nearly as brutal as it could be. And and an argument could be made that not as brutal as it should be. But then I also think like, maybe this is like, maybe this is actually for children. Maybe this is actually for like, sort of, if you'll, this is going to sound condescending on my part. Uh, this is battleship pretension. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's for people that, that aren't you and me. Okay. It's for casual moviegoers and it's, People that would that would never they know that the Holocaust is a horrible thing and they won't go see a movie like that. But if you make a movie that's a little bit more entertaining and has a bit more of a gloss on it and frankly, not as much of an edge as it could. um, It's like an introductory way of getting them into this conversation. And again, I realize that sounded a little bit elitist on my part. but, uh, and so the place for it, that is true. Uh, but yeah, so looking at, at that, um, as a satire, I think it's fairly toothless. And so it's, it bothers me. It bothers me that they call it a satire. If they were to call it a fable or something like that, I think I'd be more on board with it because it, it it contextualizes it differently, Mm. uh, in my mind and makes, and suddenly the gloss and the edges, Um, but still having a certain darkness within it, I'd be more okay with it. But, uh, overall, when I think of Jojo rabbit, I think of a movie that I, that I enjoyed and I was engaged in. Um, it's not the most intellectually stimulating. Um, but it, it, uh, you know, it, it got me in, uh, in the heart, uh, and that's, and that's okay. And so it's a film that again, genuinely it's nowhere near my top 10 and, and it, and this conversation is not going to rocket it into it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, as time goes on, it's just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like the stuff I like. Like I, I I know, I, I know enough about me and it's like, 
something that I've learned is I was worried about my top 10 of the decade being too mainstream. And then I posted them in a very mainstream place. And I discovered that I'm a pretentious asshole. <laughs> that's uh, and that's when it's like, okay, I need yeah, to, you got to have uh, that perspective. Uh, yeah. I, I need to stop thinking in, 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 I need to stop getting so in the weeds yeah. with all of this critical talk, which is fine and invigorating. <clears throat> but at the same time, I do feel like I just need to trust my own reactions to things as um, well. Yeah. I didn't like Jojo rabbit. I will admit it probably didn't help Jojo rabbit that I saw it at TIFF when I'd already seen Vitalina Varela pain and glory. Sure. Portrait of Lady on fire. And then literally immediately after Jojo rabbit, I watched a hidden life. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh, it, it can't compete. Yeah. Can comp- but no, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I didn't like it, but that's, uh, yeah. that's fine. That's fine. Uh, so. I like that. I like, see if you, uh, the more that you are honest, the more likely you and I will disagree. And that's good. That's good content up to a point. And then it becomes deeply uncomfortable content that people say they want and then they get it and they don't (laughs) want it anymore. Um, That's true. I was talking, I was talking to Jen about that the other day about us disagreeing. And I talked about, uh, uh, girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. And, uh, which is it, but then now it's gone back around where people who have gone back to listen to that have been like, you guys, it wasn't as bad as, but I also, I also think maybe like if you're just a listener and you're not a member of this friendship, maybe, It, it doesn't like seem as contentious as it was. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, because of course there's all this stuff, uh, sort of like at the end of uh, book smart, when you have these two characters, like just the right circumstances happen and all this historical shit comes in right, right. at the end. Um, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, so listeners, what I would say is, um, Perhaps you don't have quite as much shame as I do, um, and you have no problem just saying what you like and what you don't like. Um, and so what I would say is, uh, but for those of you that are like me, in the comments, put out a movie, and not even a guilty pleasure, just a movie that you like and you recognize that other people don't, and you're like, hey, you know what? Whatever. I, I, I have enough faith in me to say what I like. All right. Um... I want to tell you about TweakedAudio. That's where we are now, right? Yes. I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today I was listening to, um, I guess, a uh, uh, Norwegian metal band called... Hmm. Uh, well, it's okay. So I'm looking at their profile they're from Oslo, Norway, and Philadelphia, uh, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But the name of the band is Azusa, which is a city here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it means something else in Norwegian. I was listening to uh, their new music today. I moderated um, a panel at Azusa Pacific University. Do you know where the name... I feel like this is one of those... What does Jimmy Pardo call it? Like the obvious tribute? The thing that oh, sure. People still act like, do you know, but everyone knows. But maybe you don't know. Do you know where the name Azusa comes from? Uh... I don't. It was made. It's a, it doesn't, it's not like, like most city names happen sort of organically. Sure. This was like a planned city and it was supposed to be like the, like the place where everyone want to live. So the name of the town is A to Z USA. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, Sounded great in my tweak. Did I do the whole thing? Uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. 
Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. David, I want to talk about music for a moment. Oh, um, I like that. So here's how just completely removed I am from anything from the, the music scene. Okay. And I say that as though it's all one big community, um, that, uh, invariably like I will stumble onto a band and I'll tell that I'm like, I really like this. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell Jen like, Hey, have you heard of this band? She's like, yes, everyone has heard of this band for years. And so like, so I you stum- just got into foster the people. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's like a 10 year old reference. Oh, okay. They have no, that song, it was- pumped up kicks. Oh, I know that song. Yeah, I didn't like that song. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, you know what, uh, the, never mind. I was going to keep just naming. Oh, okay. Uh, band, but no. It's that thing is like, I'm, I'm much more likely to know songs like that song. I know, but I, right. I don't know the, uh, but yeah. So I, uh, just stumbled into the turns out extremely well-known band, uh, the Lumineers. Um, <laughs> yeah, they've been around. No, Literally, when I was going to keep doing the bit, the next my one next was going to be the Lumineers. Be the Lumineers. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I wish I'd let you do it. And then you could have said, so like, funny. you could have said that it's like, you know, the Lumineers. And I could be like, I do now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 uh, I don't remember exactly how I found them, but, uh, but I started listening. I was like, I really like this. And uh, yeah, turns out. Uh, <laughs> Everyone else does too, or at least a lot of people. Do you like uh, Lumineers? It's not. I, I, it's, I'm going to come across as a as a snob, but I feel like having been in the trenches in the like early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, like alt country scene. I was going to say Lumineers kind of felt like an afterthought to me. Yes, uh, as I was as I was listening to it, it's like I like this, but I also recognize like. Like I remember Wilco and sure, yeah. uh, these, and so like, and so it didn't necessarily, it didn't strike me as necessarily derivative cause I still enjoyed what I was hearing, but I definitely, I recognize like this is not necessarily the most original thing and not every band needs to be, but, uh, but yeah, I could definitely see that f- from your standpoint. Um, okay. Sorry. Anyway, we so, can, what, what episode is this? Well, let's get into it. Shall we? Let's okay. get into some math. You see the, the way that we use, math with you use numbers is we things are, gen, are are pretty easily broken down into into tens right um even at one point uh the calendar that we all use used to be uh 10 months a year but then uh julius and augustus caesar came along and said we deserve months of our own and they rearranged the whole fucking uh calendar so that uh that's why the ninth month september is sept which was sept, no yeah oct eight Oh, that's true. Deck ten. I don't think about that sort of thing. Yeah, until you once you until someone points it out to you, and then you can't help but notice it. Yeah, and I was like, I'm a big dumb oh, idiot. You know that? So there's a that's a phenomenon. Uh, I can't. Remember, I, I think there's a name for it. Where uh, that thing where like you've never heard of a thing, but then once you learn it, you keep seeing oh, sure. it everywhere. I had never. I, somehow I had missed that Charm City is a nickname for Baltimore, and then somehow in the past month I've heard it like three times. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> um, 
We watched five seasons of a show that took yeah, place in I Baltimore, and I still didn't Balmer? Balmer, yeah, yeah, that I knew. But I don't Yeah, but... Uh, so, uh, or, or maybe it's new. No, I actually I looked it up. It goes back to the seventies, so it's not new. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, uh, that's got to be sarcastic, right? So, Charm City. <laughs> no, I think it actually came from like a tourism board thing. Oh, all right. Um, but it probably got adopted tongue in cheek. Sure. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, we break things up into ten, and so in much the same way, because it's easier to do math, it's easier to. It's easier to add, you know, you can multiply by 10 by just adding mm-hmm. zeros. So tens make things very easy. And we do a similar thing on this show. We're at episode 680. 70. No, 70, sorry. 670. Um, uh, where every 10 episodes, uh, every time we add, we, we end a, a zero. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, you know what, let's put a pin in that. Okay. Every 10 episodes we do the same thing. There are exceptions. Right. Because also... Every 10 times 10 is 100, half of that is 50. Mm-hmm. So every 50 episodes, we do uh, a sort of celebration. So basically every 10 episodes, unless the number of the episode is also divisible by 50, this is the longest winded one I've ever done. This, yeah. um, this <laughs> we, is so inaccessible, uh, inaccessible that it should, new it, listeners? Yeah, that it should be a Patreon. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. This is a bit that I do. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we, we profile, uh, uh, an artist, uh, a film artist, usually, uh, in fact, lately, almost pretty much exclusively someone whom we've lost recently. Yeah. And so for the second uh, time in a row, uh, we've lost, uh, a, a great American character actor. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this time we will be profiling the career of the late Robert Forster. Yes. Who has uh, who had acted in a number of things? Um, he was that type of character actor, whether it be TV or movies. He uh, I looked at his IMDb; it's like 187 credits uh, as an actor, um, and he has just he had been around forever. And so, you know, for me, there's like this giant gap between like the film that like really put him on the map, which is Medium Cool, which I have seen. So, by the way, his first credit on IMDb is 1967. The first one I've seen is 1996. Okay, so we're going to be jumping ahead. So there's yeah, uh, and and, mean, and meanwhile, like in between Medium Cool and I think the I think for me it's probably probably Jackie Brown, which is 97. But like there's a huge gap, and. And, and everyone says they're like, oh, well, when Tarantino cast him in Jackie Brown, he was sort of doing what he did with Travolta, like kind of re and Pam Greer, which is like sort of rediscovering them. Meanwhile, Robert Forster worked consistently his entire career, like the 80s and 70s, like are filled with roles. It could be it might be like one episode of, you know, Jake and the Fat Man or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he worked consistently. He was that kind of guy. Yeah, who well, I he, think was was fortunate enough to get a couple of key lead roles and then show up in some really important supporting roles. There's a reason that we, and I don't mean to I don't mean to disrespect this other actor, but like there's a reason that we think that like Robert Forster is a little bit better known than like James Rebhorn. James Rebhorn acted in a million things, yeah. but he wasn't quite. He never had quite the break that like a Robert Forrester did. And, uh, and Robert, I watched uh, part of the research because I watched a lot of movies, but I also uh, watched this interview with Robert Forrester um, about how in the mid nineties, he was like considering giving up, but that, hmm. that the, the Quentin Tarantino, Jackie Brown thing really yeah. uh, saved his career. He never had to worry about money. Uh, it, like he, not that he was like super rich. Yeah. But he, uh, after Jackie Brown, he never had to worry again. Um, 
and the, the, the interview was actually like the interview was at uh, it was obviously quite a few years old because it was at the Silver Spoon on uh, on Santa Monica, which isn't there anymore. Is mm-hmm. now Connie and Ted's, which is a seafood restaurant, which oh, is not okay. bad. But I used to like the Silver Spoon a lot, so I, I, I miss it. Um, and apparently, they did the interview for this, this video interview with him there because that's where he had the meeting with Quentin Tarantino, where hmm. he where he got the ended up getting the part of Max Cherry. Um, but we'll get to Max Cherry probably pretty soon. Actually. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said, I got nothing until 96. I'm assuming you're starting with medium cool. That's true. Which is 1970, 69, 69. Yeah. Um, and medium cool is a film that I, I think I, I saw a, a, a criterion release of it. I don't know if it has, uh, made the Blu-ray, uh, switch, but I think it was on uh, DVD. Uh, medium cool is, is very much a, a film that deserves to be talked about alongside easy rider. Um, it just feels so of the time, just uh, stylistically and politically. Um, it, it involves, um, and and I would say, I would also say thematically, insofar as our main character, played by Robert Forrester, is a disaffected uh, photographer um, in the midst of you know all this political turmoil and and. Some of the film is shot in a uh, like in the moment, like some of it is essentially documentary footage, and there's Robert Forster in the middle of it, like playing this character. And uh, but then there's also a, a story is not the right word, um, but we see him doing things elsewhere. Uh, and again, it's it's you just this is something as often happens with our profiles is we see something early and then we see it return over and over again. And even though Forrester's pretty young uh, in this film, he already has developed in his character a certain world weariness that we would see in, I'm going to say, every character he would ever play yeah. uh, after that. Um, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I do have a movie from 1980. I forgot. Yes, I, I knew you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he just he had a qual he had a quality even when young of being just kind of wise beyond his years and just being you know uh it's he would go on to he would go on to you know do perform dialogue uh that is that was written by like elmore leonard as we would see in something like jackie brown but also karen cisco that kind of thing and it just that like in a way he if he were born in a different era, he could have been like a Humphrey Bogart type. Just there's a sadness in his eyes and, but also a certain toughness. Um, but you also get the impression that he's wounded. He's just wounded as a person. Um, and that's so like you get that as far back as medium cool. Um, and then the next film for me, I will mention is, (laughs) alligator which one of the reasons i was excited to do this profile was i now have an excuse to watch alligator um and uh yeah it's a film that's growing up loving jaws as i did uh any movie that was like that which it turns out there were many um i i just really wanted to see and i remember the the vhs cover of alligator and it was like it was like really creepy they made the alligator look especially evil um but i never i never watched it and uh so i saw it only for the first time now discovering that one of that the writer was john sales oh, uh, yeah. which is crazy to think because he's a brilliant writer uh and so is it well written 
it is well written. Yeah. But it's also it's a very it's a it's a strange film, but also in a way it's almost like John Sayles is is operating within like, all right, if we were to take these types of movies and boil them down to their absolute essence, what do we have? Oh, we've got alligator. Um and so in many ways you could watch it and just say this is a straightforward, not ironic, uh uh earnest giant alligator movie and it works on that level um the 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 kills are pretty good the model work because they need they use like an actual size alligator but then they have him like walking along in the streets of chicago so the model work is pretty good um chicago yeah i always thought it was a new york movie because i think that's the that's the urban legend right yeah yeah uh, alligators in the sewers in new york city yeah uh so but I think, but it's also, it's a film that's very, it's very tongue in cheek. Uh, Henry Silva eventually shows up in a very quint type role. Um, but he's also like, uh, he's also like a lech who's being interviewed by a reporter and just hitting on her the whole time. And it's kind of funny, but, um, and, uh, you know, and it's like, ah, the mayor's so like, there's also a cop cliche thing. It's like, ah, the mayor's up my ass. We got to get this alligator, you know? Um, but, uh, but at the, at the center of it is Robert Forrester in the lead role as this guy who is again, like he's a cop, he's been around a while, he's lost a partner. Um, and he's just trying to get to the bottom of this. And it's not like there's a whole lot to the character, but whatever there is, Robert Forrester finds and enhances to such an extent that you feel like it's a real character. And he is very, he's very Brody like, uh, from jaws in that, like he's just a down to earth guy who is like, yeah, I don't like, it's like, I don't like telling people that there's a giant alligator because I know how I sound but this is how it is. That's yeah. There's a great, like you, you got to something that we'll get to, or you touched on something we'll get to later, which is that he, he made a lot of bad movies, mm-hmm. but he's often really good in them. Even when the script is bad, Obviously, yeah. this is a John sales script, but there's a lot of movies where he's bringing something more, you, you know, he's making a character where there isn't one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, definitely uh world weariness or a certain, <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, a certain insouciance, Ooh. you know, like a, a, a cool. Uh, yeah. Even when he's playing assholes, which he sometimes did. Yeah. But underneath, <laughs> underneath all of that is, I think, a genuine. I mean, I, I said Bogart earlier, and I think I think that's a pretty apt comparison because underneath a lot of Bogart performances, not all of them, uh, there is a decency. Yeah. And a real desire, a character really desiring to do good, but maybe kind of forgetting how to, to do it. Yeah. That's something else I thought about watching these movies is he was used best, uh, when his character was decent. Yeah. Um, I also think he's used best, um, uh, when his character is more of an everyman because he weirdly, uh, got cast uh, at least in the last 20 years of his life, often playing like really rich guys. And it hmm. was always a weird watching, like doing research for, for this. It was like, uh, no, he's better when he's playing the, the Max cherries. You yeah. Know? It's, uh, I don't buy him as being out of touch in the way that the rich guy character is often supposed to be. Right. I could see uh, him being a certain type of rich guy, but not like, you know, not Edward Herman or yeah. something like that, you know? Um, 
uh, Alligator directed by Louis Teague. Okay. Did a number of things, including yeah. Navy SEALs. That's but also, right. speaking of memorable video store covers, mm-hmm. you know what else Louis Teague directed? I looked this up at one point. Yes, of course. Collision right. Course. Collision Course, which uh, featuring Jay Leno and Pat Morita. Yeah. Uh, and it is the inspiration for multiple photos that I've taken at weddings. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, look it up if you don't know it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, all right. So then are we moving on? I haven't seen, nobody saw collision course. I haven't seen it, but that cover stayed with me. So, uh, are we, so is Jackie Brown your next one? It's my next one. Yeah. Okay. So So I have one one before that. He did a lot after alligator. He did a lot of schlocky horror movies, some scanners, some, uh, um, like scanner sequels type things. Yeah. Um, I was like getting confused, but I realized I was still on Lewis Teague's page. Not, uh, not Robert Forster's. I was like, wait, what did he do? Um, he was also in Maniac Cop 3. Sure. And then in 1996, he was in another movie directed by the director of, 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 of the, all three Maniac Cop movies. And I'm talking about 1996's Uncle Sam, which is a not very good, but very fascinating uh, uh, supernatural slasher movie that is also has some weirdly complicated or maybe not straightforward feelings about war in the military. Hmm. So the premise of the movie is that, um, it takes place, you know, it's 1996. It's years after the, a few years after the Persian Gulf, mm-hmm. but there's a, a soldier whose body is finally recovered and sent home. And, um, his body was badly burned. And, uh, that night, some local kids in this small town, uh, decided as a form of protest or just cause they're little shits to burn a flag on his grave. Mm. And so then he wakes up as this like charred zombie and goes around basically killing people who are unpatriotic. Oh, <laughs> but the movie, but despite all that, the movie is also very much like, it's not like glorifying of war. Like it's right. like, it's it. I feel like this is a movie that says like that war is a terrible thing and not something to be entered into lightly, but also not something to be criticized lightly. That sure. most of the characters in the movie who uh, criticize it are just like smug, have no idea, have never sure. been to war, have never been in the military. Um, although that doesn't, even the ones who are more thoughtful protesters, like Timothy Bottoms, high school co- uh, teacher character, hmm. still get fucking killed. Sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, near the end. <clears throat> Um, Robert Forster shows up as a corrupt congressman who's showing up in this small, at this small town town's, uh, uh, 4th of July celebration as a sort of apology tour because he got caught, uh, stealing money from something or whatever. And, uh, of course his apology doesn't go too far with old uncle Sam. (laughs) Um, uh, and he gets totally killed. (laughs) But, uh, even then, like there's, he's not, he only has a, a couple of scenes, but even he like, even even within that, he finds things that, and then there's something there's something he does in the movie that's so it feels so more Robert Forster than um, than the rest of the movie that I yeah. wonder if he ad libbed it. But it, he has a repeated thing where whenever he's about to go in front of the public, he says to his like handler, secret or like bodyguard guy, he puts on his sunglasses, he's like glasses on, glasses off. What do you think? He does it like <laughs> multiple times, and it's such like a despite everything that's going on, he's still like this shallow kind of like sweet yeah. talker guy. It's a, it's a fun little, it's a fun little performance in a, a, a surprisingly fun, 
um, wow. slasher movie. I gotta with, see it. Like I said, Timothy Bottoms, Isaac Hayes is also in it. Oh, all right. Um, uh, I can't remember if there's any other uh, name actors in it. It's again, it's really bad. Yeah. But uh, from the director of Maniac Cop, Maniac Cop Two, and Maniac Cop Three. Oh, okay. So that's the first, and it's so. It, I mean, it's not the first one I had ever seen. I just, yeah. I literally just watched it last night because it's uh, free on Prime. If you have Prime, you can watch it for free. Ooh. Um, so I watched. Well, I guess it. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's funny to think. It's funny to think that he was in. This is 1996, and the next year he would be nominated for an Oscar that's for a movie. I, that's what I love about like his story and any number of people that like uh, that Tarantino has not necessarily rediscovered because I'm sure I'm sure Tarantino Robert Forster was ever present he didn't think he maybe he didn't think he was helping him at all he just thought like man we scored Robert Forster the guy from Uncle Sam um, yeah. but yeah so uh, yeah next for me is, is yeah, uh, Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown which is my introduction to him um, certainly was for me yeah and uh, yeah I, I mean it's so here's here's something that I say sometimes. Um, in my lifetime, I think the smartest and most admirable th- uh, admirable thing the uh, most ca- admirable thing is to uh, uh, yes, donate exactly. to give ten dollars a month for for <laughs> content. I almost special pretension. I almost turned to a camera that wasn't there. <laughs> Uh, because we, yeah, when it's like, Oh, Patreon, you said Patreon. Well, Oh, right. Admirals in particular, they get the, they get the video. Yeah. They get the whole, the whole package. (laughs) Um, but, uh, one of the most admirable things that the Academy did in my lifetime was nominate Robert Forster, uh, for supporting actor. He didn't win. And that is, uh, to their, to their great shame. Who won? Uh, Robin Williams for goodwill hunting. Good performance. Um, but, but, you know, but not you know a movie what? that I think has stood the test of time the way that Jackie Brown has. If it has, it's because of him. Like he, he stands the test of time and certain iconic scenes that have since been parodied. And now the film isn't, can't be taken quite Maybe so that's seriously. what I'm thinking of is yeah. it's been parodied so much that I yeah. don't think of it as a, um, but that was a strong year for supporting actor as well. You also had Burt Reynolds and boogie nights. Uh, and he's marvelous. Uh, you've got, uh, Oh, there was a time when I knew everyone. Anthony Hopkins in uh, Amistad does a pretty good job. Uh, Hasn't been nominated since. Except this year. I guess I meant until now hasn't been nominated. Yeah. Yes. Um, Oh, Greg Kinnear was the last one for as good as it gets. He's quite good in that. Um, But uh, he is like, you know, I mean, it's the nineties and he plays a gay character. He could have probably played him bigger uh, and he didn't. He actually plays him pretty realistic. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I do remember there's a joke about how like, that uh, <laughs> I don't think this joke has aged well where Jack Nicholson is the OCD guy yeah, and Greg Kinnear is the gay guy. They're both really fastidious suitcase packers. <laughs> yes. That seems like a, a joke that doesn't age that well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's not that harmful, but it's, uh, it isn't. It's, yeah. you know, because it's one of those rare moments where like Nicholson admires him for anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, Robert Forster and, and Jackie Brown, first off, there's so much I love about the movie in general, but I do because we have so many colorful characters. Um, you know, we've got obviously Samuel Jack. I mean, certainly our villains are colorful. Jackie herself is, is colorful, which is why Max Cherry being the height of realism, like mm-hmm. just, they don't like, they don't really Tarantino doesn't really give him the, the crackling dialogue that mm-hmm. you associate with, with Tarantino. He gives him very, 
beautifully crafted, really lived in dialogue. You absolutely believe who this guy is. And it is just one of the most naturalistic, effortless, uh, sorry, seemingly effortless performances I've ever seen in a film. Uh, I believe a few years ago on more than one lesson, I I did a list of my favorite, like supporting performances, like by male and female. Mm -hmm. And I put uh, Robert Forster as my number one, because it's just so, it's so understated and yet has such tremendous power. And it has that, that feeling of like everything he does is so deliberate, but at no point does it look like he's putting in, like he's really forcing anything. It is, it's a character that you feel like you could step into the movie and just talk with him for, for hours. Not because he's particularly interesting either. Like he's, uh, the the character reminds me a few years later of Steve Buscemi and ghost world. Like, an understated oh. character in the middle of a big, a slightly more heightened world. But uh, I, yeah, I see what you mean by that. But they, the characters are very, I don't think alike at all because Max no. Cherry is much more comfortable in his own skin. Yes. Yes. Which is why he like Robert Forster. I think we keep coming back to, uh, uh, and I think we'll continue to is that he's cool. And yeah. so even though he's not as like overtly like slick and showy as yeah. you know, Jackson's character, yeah. um, say, uh, he's also not in the least bit phased by him because you think of him as uh, within the within the context of this heightened world. Yeah, he's the milk toast everyman. Yeah. But you realize he's also a bail bondsman. He's yeah, he's gotten his hands dirty from like professionally for most of his life, and he cannot he can hold his own in any situation. Yeah, and he, when he's telling that story about like going into somebody's breaking into somebody's house, sitting there with a stun gun, you know, whole place smells a cat pee, uh, <laughs> and he's just and then like. And Pam and Jackie Brown's like, what you did that tonight? And, and he's just like, it's my job, but he doesn't say it like super, like it's like, it's my job. You know, yeah. he says it like a trucker or really anybody. Yeah. And the fact that he's so nonchalant about it, like that wonderful moment where he talks about, she says like, you know, what do you feel about getting older? And he goes, well, you know, like started to bother me. Like, a few years ago, my hair started falling out, but I did something about it. And I look in the mirror, it still looks like me. Like he's just so there's such a casual cool to him. Uh, he's it's, it's a completely unselfconscious performance. Mm. I, I absolutely adore it. Yeah, I, I love that. The, again. I know I focused on watching new stuff. I should have gone back and watched this one. It never hurts. Like yeah. the more I watch it, the more I like, even I was 15 when I saw that I saw it with my dad. Okay. So I, I went, I was expecting Tarantino and I got Tarantino on a lot of levels. <clears throat> and yet, even at 15, that character, I was like, there's something going on with him. <laughs> like, it's just, he's so relatable. Like he really is as much as I love Pam Greer. And I think she does a great job. And the two of them together are magnetic effortlessly. So, um, but he really, I think is the heart of the film. Um, and I, I adore it. All right. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen the psycho remake. Speaking of Gus Van Sant movies. Yeah. Uh, this is, I tell you, um, I remember Roger Ebert when he talked about, um, when he talked about the psycho remake, he said it was like a, a, an, an, a very interesting misfire. And he's like, he goes, but how, when you are going to remake this movie, the one thing you could have done to maybe improve it was cut that long psychiatrist speech at the end. <laughs> right. And that's who Robert Forster plays. And yeah, it won't be the last time he shows up at the very end of a movie. Sure, yeah. We'll, we'll talk later. Uh, but what I will say is that 
he has, you were talking about it before he can take dialogue and imbue it with something. Yeah. And that long character, that, that long psychiatrist speech at the end of psycho, which I think was probably a bit more necessary in 1960 than it was in 1998. Um, you know, by that time, the idea of like multiple personalities, uh, was not uncommon in movies. In fact, it was probably overdone. Right. Um, so we certainly didn't need that, but he delivers it in a very matter of fact way. You absolutely believe that he is a psychiatrist and that he's just explaining and that he's a consultant used, you know, he's accustomed to maybe working with police. Uh, and so like if anybody can take that speech and make it feel somewhat fresh or at the very least like actual dialogue instead of someone who at any point could look at the audience and say, everybody got that, mm-hmm. uh, it's Robert Forrester. And so I think he actually does as much with that dialogue as any actor could. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna get. Yeah, there's another one we're gonna get to in about uh, 15 years. Okay, uh, um, that uh, has kind of a similar purpose at the very end of a movie. Okay, and that he makes work. But anyway, I'm uh, next up for me is 2000. Um, uh, yes. So we've got uh, a couple in 2000. We've uh, we've got one that I just watched, which is the uh, Joe Montana directed Lake Boat. Yes, which is a David Mamet. Uh, uh, script and um, not one of his best, I would say. In right. fact, I found most of, mo- most of this movie very unpleasant to watch. Yeah, it's it's not a well-made film. I owned it for a while because there are aspects to it that I enjoyed from a dialogue and mo- specifically monologue standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a pretty good cast. It Charles really Durning, yeah. Peter Falk, um, and then uh, George, George Wint. Wint, Andy Garcia. Um, but, uh, Dennis Leary is kind of the weak link there. Yeah, which is interesting because i think i would have i would have guessed that dennis leary could work really well with david mamet dialogue but not in this type of movie um yeah i yeah i just don't believe i i don't think i think dennis leary is a very limited actor you know if maybe that's like i remember there's not much i don't really like the movie suicide kings that much and even though and his his biggest scene in suicide Kings shouldn't be in there uh, from a structure standpoint, but he's quite good in it. Yeah. I forgot. I forgot about that movie. That was one of the first, uh, DVDs I ever owned. I bought the first, I I think I had like a gift card or something to best buy a gift certificate. I don't even know if they were using cards back then in Mm -hmm. 2000, but, uh, if I remember correctly, the four DVDs that I bought, okay, I'm going to try and do in, in alphabetical order. Okay. Four Weddings and a Funeral, mm-hmm. Suicide Kings, mm-hmm. The Thin Red Line, and Time Bandits. Wow. Three of those I really still stand yeah, by. Yeah. The Suicide Kings I don't ever need. I think I'm, I don't need to see that again. Yeah. You 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 turned 17 and you don't need it anymore. Um, <laughs> um, I was probably 18. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, you mentioned monologues. He's got a couple of uh, monologues, including one big one near the end that... Yeah. Um, he does a great job with, I just, at that point I was just so, it just feel, I think what I said to you off mic was that if you told me that this was so, written by someone trying to be David Mamet, not by sure. David Mamet himself, I would believe it. It's just, yeah. which is something that he, you know, uh, what is it? Red, red, what is it? The thing he made in 2008, uh, red something. It's not red tails, red belt, red, red belts. Yes. Did we see with, that together? We yeah, did. We, yeah. yeah. It was she a tell you for, um, yeah, he yeah. was there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Oh guys, sorry about this. Um, but, uh, yeah, mammon every once in a while, like this is something that I've said before is that like every once in a while, I was like, 
he used to write the way people talk and eventually he started to write the way people talk in a David Mamet film. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that definitely is how this feels, but I, yeah, there's a little bit like, there's a thing that feels very, that Robert Forster does. that feels very, what you're talking about where one of his last scenes together, when he's talking to the main character, mm-hmm. um, played by Mamet's brother, I believe. Yeah. It's, I, I didn't know it was a, his brother. It's, it's a Mamet. I just can't remember his yeah. first name. Um, where he asks him repeatedly, like, are you going up on deck? And like, I think in the, within the earlier version, you're talking about the naturalistic version. You do that, you know, you have mess with it at the beginning. And then at the, again, at the end, because he forgot that he already had yeah. the answer and he's preoccupied with going up on deck, but he has him ask it like four times. And it's yeah. like, you have a learning disability. Like the guy's told <laughs> yeah. you four times he's going to bed when he gets on the ship, he's yeah. not going up on deck. Yeah. Uh, the, that last monologue is all about like, where he tells a story where a uh, uh, Forster tells a story about the time he almost killed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but on purpose, like he didn't like slip yeah. in the shower. I mean, like he, he almost committed suicide and, Complete uh, with, uh, sorry, Joe Montaigne, but unnecessary, uh, like reenact, like flashbacks. not at all. Yeah. You could have just had him do it, but that's stay on Robert movie. Forster's face. Believe yeah. me, it will sell it. And that's not the only time. There's multiple times in the movie when during monologues, he recreates the thing and it's like, this would have been better. Yeah. This this is based on a play. They didn't, they yeah. couldn't have cut based back. on a play. Well cast film, <laughs> maybe trust the actors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like I get, you don't want it to be too stagey, but at the same time, like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross still worked. Uh, but like yeah. that monologue, like it really stayed with me because there is, there's such vulnerability there. And I actually think from a writing standpoint, there's a moment where he says like, he goes, you know, when he eventually decides to not do it and he, and then he admits that he's like, and then, you know, I just start, start playing with myself and all that. And it's like, and that, and the phrasing it's, that's, that's a very, that's a childlike phrasing. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think he finds that, I think he finds like there is a, a childlike level of vulnerability going on. And I, and that moment has stayed with me. Um, when he shifts from, this to one very vulnerable admission to another. Uh, and I think he does a great job with it. And I do wish that, that Forrester had been in like other mammoths, other better mammoth stuff, hmm. you know, like I feel like he could have done a great job in like the Ed O'Neill Neil role in uh, Spartan. Um, I wouldn't take Ed O'Neill out of that though. No, not at all. Yeah. Like, but if they if they had done like a like a, a remake or a revival of like Glengarry Glen Ross, I think he could have played any number of roles. I think he would have been a heartbreaking Shelley Levine. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's know, a shame. He's too cool. But that's the thing is but like he, yeah he right he's, but he can play that sadness and. Imagine if you had him and then like, again, a, a, like a, a younger hipper, uh, Roma, then it's like Shelly used to be that. Mm. And there's still maybe some elements of it, but there's also a real sadness there now. All right. So speaking of movies, you and I saw in the theater, I think we have two in a row here unless you've mm-hmm. got something to break it up. But, uh, me, myself and Irene, you we and did. I saw in the theater way we back did, when we yes. were 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Um, and here, yeah, we're really getting into that, uh, every man folksy sort of yeah. uh, quality. Cause he's. It's been a long time, but he's Jim Carrey's like commanding officer. Yes. Like in the, in the, is he a cop or a sheriff or a deputy? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't Howie remember patrol exactly. something, yeah. but he's his captain essentially. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, clearly a decent guy. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that you would see from people from Forrester and people like him where he gets these roles where he's just, it's kind of, he operates as the straight man. 
and does a fine job with it. But like his whole point is to, is to be incredulous at everything that's going on, but also trying to be decent and patient and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. I think I would probably enjoy, there are things about it. that I think I would probably enjoy more and things I would enjoy much less, which is often the case with uh fairly brothers. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we've got Mulholland drive. There's not that much to be, Said no. about Mulholland Drive. It's him and uh, Brent Briscoe um, from uh, <laughs> right. A Simple Plan. Sorry, people who were listening last week may have remembered that I was sick. Uh, yeah. I'm still not 100% over it. Um, all right. But yeah. And, it's, and he just plays, yeah, he's very, very briefly in Mulholland Drive. Uh, I think when it was developed as a pilot i think the character was supposed to be a bigger part of it which is one of the one of the reasons that uh, i mourn the fact that it was a movie instead of a tv show mm-hmm. um because i i do think that those two characters because it clearly they were meant to be like bren briscoe he's not bumbling but he clearly is meant to be sort of the comedic sidekick um yeah that would have been a fun but yeah a as fun it, show to watch as it is it's just a it's just a, a an effective cameo uh, moving on to 2000 or staying in 2001, I'll admit that I don't remember him in human nature cause I haven't seen human nature since it was brand new. Uh, I but didn't see human nature. <clears throat> I don't remember liking it very much at all. Uh, next up is a movie that I watched in preparation for this called finders fee. Do you know who directed it? I do know who directed okay. it. Okay. Jeff Probst. Jeff Probst. Directed it. Have you watched it? I have not. I've not, I've not heard good things. It is not good. Got a good cast, though. Great cast. You've got Aaron yeah. Palladino in the lead. Uh, people who watched uh, ER in the late 90s, mm-hmm. early 2000s, uh, like I did. No Eric Palladino. Um, do you know the premise? Don't look it up. Do you know the premise of the movie? I don't. Because it's all. It's, I looked it up. It's not based on a play, but it could be a play. Because other than the opening couple of shots where Eric Palladino finds a wallet on the sidewalk, the mm-hmm. entire movie takes place in his apartment. Oh, okay. And the premise is that Eric Palladino finds this wallet. Mm-hmm. He's got buddies coming over to play poker. <clears throat> he looks at the wallet, Good Samaritan, whatever, to try and find uh, who it is, try and find how to get it back mm-hmm. to him. He finds a number for someone named Victor. He calls and he says, uh, and he has an ID, but no picture. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it's like a, uh, fireman's, uh, oh, okay. uh, membership, uh, whatever. Um, so he calls this number, Victor. He's like, Hey, my name is so such and such. I live at this address. I found a wallet that belongs to someone named Avery Phillips. Uh, well, be here all night. You know, mm-hmm. uh, here's my number or just come by. I'll be here all night. Um, and then after he's left that message for Victor, he finds a $6 million winning lottery ticket in the wallet. And then his buddies show up to play poker. His buddies played by Matthew Lillard, um, uh, dash Mihawk and, uh, now mega famous Ryan Reynolds Mm. show up to, to play poker. And then there's a knock on the door and it's James Earl Jones. Yeah. I mean, I'm Avery Phillips. I'm here to get my wallet while he's there. And Eric Palladino is like trying to figure out how to get him the wallet while hanging on to the lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. While he's there, there's some sort of like, I don't know, criminal or mad killer loose in the building and the cops shut the building down. And Robert Forster plays the sort of head of this unit who's going floor mm-hmm. to floor building, like door to door, trying to like clear this building. And so then the movie takes place where they decide to play poker and James Earl Jones decides to sit down and play with them and it's just this like oh that was Eric, a good that was a good premise and yeah, then it wasn't uh um but eric like eric Pellino's character is trying to figure out yeah how to 
keep the lottery ticket because he's obviously not that good a guy. Yeah. We're trying to figure out how much does James like does James Earl Jones character maybe he hasn't checked the lottery numbers maybe he sure. doesn't know it's winning ticket maybe he doesn't know it's not in the wallet and then we learn more about him and then Eric Paladino is sort of starting to have this crisis of conscience it's not a bad premise it's I just, just I just mean of, like the the I would say it's a contrivance, but it's too weird to be a contrivance uh, or stupid. The idea that like at this exact moment, that's when the building gets shut down for for an external reason. I mean, that's you get one of those, I guess like I I would buy it if that's the thing is the movie is just so indulgent. The Mm -hmm. characters um, don't behave in a way that I uh, believe at any moment. Yeah. Um, The movie is sometimes very uh, ugly in its, in its stereotypes. Um, and it's, yeah, it's mostly, uh, just grating and annoying, mm-hmm. but Robert Forster has like three scenes, yeah. uh, including one that's the rest of the people are in the room. Cause everything, everyone's always in the room, of the, but it's basically just him and James Earl Jones. You yeah. can't go wrong with sure. It's a great, but uh, going back to what we were saying, this was of all the bad movies that I watched for this. And there were a, a number, mm-hmm. this was not the worst lake boat might've been the worst. Um, I don't know. There's been some bad ones, um, but this was the clearest example of the, a movie just coming alive when Robert Forster is sure. on the screen because he brings so much to this character <clears throat> where it, he's playing multiple le- levels and also knowing he's playing for an audience, giving multiple levels of where like, is this cop an asshole? Yeah. Cause he's kind of being an asshole or is he just in the middle of a stressful situation and whatever's going on with these dudes playing poker is a distraction from the fact that there's a fucking like gunman loose in the building or whatever the hell it is. Um, is he just, uh, uh, can he be trusted if it comes to that? Like he's, he understands that Robert Forster seems to understand how his character's presence, uh, affects the, the machinery of the movie's narrative and, creates a really interesting uh and kind of funny like uh weary asshole cop character and that's the thing another thing i think watching the movies as they go on you know i had uncle sam where he's playing a corrupt comic sure. here he's playing kind of a an asshole cop like i think as things went on as he became more i guess avuncular it feel like it feels feels like he stopped getting cast as a bad guy sure. or, or, or a guy with any rough edges at all. And that's, that's a loss to me is that yeah. he was, he was good at being kind of a dick. Well, and I, you know, in talking about the, you looking at the words that we've used to describe him, which is like a certain type of cool world weary, mm-hmm. uh, a, a wounded, maybe, uh, able to, to project a certain decency that actually makes you pretty malleable and, and not, not to su- not to suggest like tremendous range so much as you can take that, you can, you can play up some of like one aspect of that play down another. And now you have a guy like you can easily take that and turn it into a villain or the most decent hero you have ever seen. Uh, and I think, I think Forrester was able to, was able to do that. So like, the idea, I imagine he doesn't really, I imagine he doesn't look or sound that different than Max Cherry, but 
if you just dial up the authority that Max yeah, yeah. Cherry has <laughs> and dial down the decency, then it's like, okay, now we have a cop who does have a bit more of a hard edge yeah. uh, and could be an asshole. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it seems so strange that again, it's not so much about doing all these different accents and all that. It's about finding what these character, what these various characters can be and be like, yeah, I see, there's some of that in me. So I'm going to play that up. And I think he's, he's uh, I, yeah, the word I use is malleable, like, or, or adaptable. He could adapt to these characters or adapt to these characters to something that's already there in him. Um, which is, uh, you know, you don't get cast this much in this, in this many types of movies. Yeah. Uh, if you're unable to do that. All right. Now I'll admit I to not really remembering him and like Mike, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see I it. I saw like Mike. Okay. Cause that was that period when I worked at the video store and I saw almost everything. Mm-hmm. And I say almost everything. Cause I didn't at the time see confidence. I watched confidence right. for the first time of the night. Um, not my kind of movie. I don't really have time for it. And it seems like a waste of Robert Forster. He's barely in. Yeah. It's, I think he's there mostly, uh, for the trailer. Yeah. I feel like the scene where we're introduced to him <laughs> and you see him like talking in the front of the back of the limo, I didn't watch the trailer. I feel like that's probably in the trailer. Sure. Uh, as like, this is the mark. This is the guy we're going to yeah. steal from, even though he, that isn't even, that's technically who they're stealing from. But John Carroll Lynch is the one they go through and he has yeah. way more to do than Robert Forster. The Robert Forster is just barely in the movie. Yeah. It's, it's something that happens every once in a while. Anytime you have like the mark, uh, like I'm reminded of, uh, I know it's not a heist movie, but it has an element to that. Like when I think of like game night and how, underutilized Danny Houston is in that. Oh, right. Uh, it's that kind of role. Um, incidentally, there are th- I haven't seen confidence in years. My DVD copy apparently doesn't work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jen and I saw it in the theater. And so like, it's a film that we purchased cause we, it's when we were dating, um, in retrospect. Yeah. I think it's too clever by half. I do like some of the visuals of the James Foley, uh, incorporates who directed Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. And I remember it being same DP too. I looked it up. Uh, oh, okay. All right. I don't know. It, it seems clever, but there's actually like, there's a couple of, uh, cause I'm not one who normally harps on plot holes, but if it's a movie like this, there are parts where it's like, wait, how did they know that was going to like, yeah, like it doesn't actually explain how, yeah. how they make a leap from one thing uh, yeah. to the next. Like we don't really know how, I mean, I guess you can maybe assume, but like Andy Garcia gets involved with uh, Luis Guzman and um, Terriers. What's his name? Uh, who's the other cop? Donald Logue. Donald Logue. Yeah. Um, and like, we never really see, him find out who they are or how they're connected to Ed Burns yeah. character. I guess you could fill in the blanks, but, uh, I also just, I've never been a big Ed Burns, Ed Burns fan. Yeah. Seems uh, like it'd be a jerk. My, my takeaway, <laughs> uh, from the movie, first off just now, I forgot he was in it. Um, who Ed Burns, yeah. the lead of the He's movie, the lead of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember like between oceans 11 and then this, I remember being like, Andy Garcia is turning out to be a pretty solid little character actor. Like I remember really liking him in this and enjoying what, uh, Dustin Hoffman was doing. Um, yeah, he's chewing the scenery, but in a way that I enjoy. Yeah. And he's actually not, he's also not in the movie that much in a good way. Yeah. I think like they, knowing he's chewing the scenery, they don't go back to him very often. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But yes, I agree. Like it's a, not unlike Mulholland drive. Like at the time, I mean, 
Robert Forrester, I wouldn't say he was necessarily a draw, but he was somebody that I was always aware of. And so imagine my disappointment when he didn't show up again in Mulholland Drive. (laughs) And then in this, it's just like, oh, feels like a waste of uh, a notable actor. Yeah. Yeah, because everything he does, he does by proxy. It's either they get through him through John Carroll Lynch. Yeah. Or he, the only time that he's an, he does anything active, it's actually, is it Morris Chestnut? Is that the actor? That, I think so, yeah. That uh, actually goes and like, we never see him outside of his office except for the, yeah. or, or the limo. Like, he never, he never does anything. Anyway, that's yeah. not the point. Uh, moving on, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I saw in the theater. I don't really remember. I didn't see it. Um, you mentioned Karen Sisko, the TV series. Yeah. Uh, where he played essentially the Dennis Freena role from... Yeah from out of sight. Yeah. So he uh, plays Karen's father, yeah. Marshall. Um, and, uh, we watched several episodes of, of this. I don't know. How- I think I might've, it was only, only <coughs> I'm looking at only 10 of them aired. I might've okay. ended up watching all 10. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I only watched a few, but I remember on one hand, I was disappointed that it wasn't De- Dennis Farina. Cause I love him in that. <laughs> but I also thought like, no, this is a good, this is, this is acceptable uh, because it's, and I know they're not lifting lines directly from uh, Elmore Leonard, but it's still that vibe and it's still that type of lived in cool that you would find in Elmore Leonard books. Uh, and I think he's, he was, I remember really liking him and really thinking that he did. He was able to evoke the same type of thing that Dennis Farina was doing, but still making it his own. Um, I haven't seen it in in a while, but I remember really responding to him in that. Uh, speaking of TV fathers, he was also Hank Azaria's father on the <clears throat> first season of Yes. Hump. Do you did you watch both seasons of Hump? I only watched the first. Okay, so do you know, you don't know? I don't know if it was a scheduling thing or what, but he was replaced in season two. Oh, I didn't know that. Tom Skerritt. That's a, that's a bummer. Like yeah. I, Tom Skerritt can be a really great actor, but that's a very different dynamic. Exactly. Yeah. That's what Extremely I remember when he first shows up in season two, I remember being like, this is not the same. No, I like Tom Skerritt, but this is not the same character. I do think that there's there, <laughs> there can be a bit of an edge. And in a show like Huff, uh, I remember just when you're trying to figure out like, okay, what drives this guy? And then you meet his dad. Uh, you're like, okay, I get this a little bit more. Um, Oh, that's, that is, uh, that's too bad. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. So right, I've got a big leap ahead here. So what do you have next? So next for me is lucky number 11. He was okay. part of the, he was part of the larger ensemble that focused primarily around, you know, uh, Josh Hartnett, uh, <laughs> which is silly to say. Um, I don't remember much about, uh, him in the, uh, in the film, but, uh, Oh, huh. There's a guy named Kevin, Ch- uh, Kevin Chamberlain and I'm uh, Facebook friends with him. Um, How about that? anyway, uh, so let's see. So moving ahead. So what's next for you? The descendants, 2011. The descendants. Okay. Hang on. Let me scroll and see if there's anything for me between, I don't think so. I think the descendants is my, is my next, uh, my next film as well. Yes, it is. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> I haven't seen this as the theater, but he, um, as I recall, he plays George Clooney's father-in-law. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, this is a movie that I think is a good use of it's a, I don't think the movie's great, but it's a good use of, uh, of him. It's a, it's everything that he is uh as that we've been talking about. Like it's a supporting role. We don't see him a lot, but when we do see him, it, he's playing up one of these elements that we're talking about. 
Yeah, and I mean, he has what to me the most memorable part of the movie when he sure. tells the the shithead kid, "I'm going to hit you," and then he hits him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's it's funny. So that scene is funny, but the one after. Because that kid in his mannerisms is is so similar to my brother in law, uh, Jen. When we watched it, she started laughing so hard because the kid's in the back seat. And I think he's like holding like uh, ice to his nose, and he's like, "That was unreal." And he's like, "What kind of old man just hauls off and fucking cold cocks you like that?" And it's just, and he doesn't say it with like a Minnesota accent, but he has a, he has a cadence. It's exactly like my brother-in-law. And so we laughed really hard at that. But yes, that moment of like, I'm going to hit you uh-huh. is, uh, it's funny, but it, it clearly like it comes from, cause the kid is saying like thoughtless things. Yes. And the dad is like, this is how he's able to express this. He's not the most expressive character. So this is one of the things that he, that he does. But, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, a word we used earlier is world weariness, but there's something about the, f- and maybe I just think this way because I didn't come to know who he was until he was already like sort of sure. On the other side of middle age. But, um, there's a certain like experience and a certain being comfortable in your skin that I think is, a in, in his, in his characters that, that comes with age in certain people. Yeah, at least. I think so. So, uh, that sort of like, I'm going to hit you thing is so, it's so confident. Yeah. And this is a guy who's like lived a life. He's a man in a lot of like that sort of classic sense. Yeah. And there's like a code that he's following. It's yeah. almost like he's not, say it's almost like he's not he doesn't hit the kid because he's mad but just because he thinks the kid deserves it there's (laughs) yes i could see that um like the kid has clearly touched a nerve but this is not this is not coming from a super emotional place yeah uh yeah i i agree with you 100 percent uh once again like that moment feels of it feels very elmore leonard to me the idea of a character announcing i'm gonna hit you before he does yeah uh but then later he has a really great moment with george clooney uh where clooney is just like he's taking so much he, he's he's trying to like express things uh to his father-in-law and his father-in-law is like i don't remember the exact line but essentially saying something he's like i need to say goodbye to my daughter hmm. so maybe stop making this about you uh, again, that's, that's not the line. That's not yeah. the line. But, uh, and in that moment there's, there's, it's some of the best in general. Uh, it's one of my favorite performances by George Clooney. I think he does great work in it, but, um, but I do also think that, uh, yeah, Robert Forster in that moment where you start to see the cracks, like, because at this point he is really saying like, she's almost gone mm-hmm. and this is it. And so yeah. like, I can't, punch you anymore like i can't that's it's not going to be that anymore now it's now it is purely emotional it's a really it's a really i don't love the movie yeah me either. um but it has real moments of impact uh, and also a matthew lillard uh, that's right movie. yes they were in a number of things together yeah because also twin peaks the return yeah they, they, were, they never shared any scenes in I'll bet they're best friends. I, <laughs> I bet Matthew so. Lillard. No, we're not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, our fortune has passed away. That's why we're doing this episode. All right. Uh, I'm moving on to 2013. Uh, okay. Uh, and a very bad movie called Somewhere Slow. I'm sorry. This is one of the bad movies <laughs> that I watched. And it is especially fr- frustrating because, like with Psycho, and this is what the movie I said I was going to compare to Psycho, he doesn't show up until the very end. Okay. To, like, 
the movie's about a, a, a woman in an unhappy marriage who, uh, whose mother, played by Lindsay Krause, is dying and she loses her job. Uh, she's married to David Costabile, and uh, that's no fun for her. And so uh, she is a very like eye rolling movie premise. She is at a convenience store like uh, like Don Cheadle in Boogie Nights. Okay. There's a robbery in which both the robbery and the convenience store worker die and there's a bunch of money on the counter. So she takes it and decides to go on the lamb and ends up. God, this is this is getting even more <laughs> annoying. Sometimes when I like talk about a bad movie, I will do the I will talk about the plot in a way that makes it sound better than it is. There's no way to make this sound good. Okay. Then while she's on the bus, she meets uh, a drifter teenager boy, and then they uh, head off together and end up. Uh, they go to uh, the like a beach house that her parents owned when she was a girl, but don't own now. But the people who own it aren't currently using it. So they go stay in this beach house. And anyway, so at the very end, she's, uh, because she feels bad about staying in this beach house. She takes the sheets that she like fucked this teenager on to the dry cleaner and to get them like clean in the desks. Can you deliver them to this house? Cause Mm. she's going back home and the dry cleaner is played by Robert Forster. So it's the very end, (laughs) very end of the movie. And yeah, but but he still like uh, he still does a he he's able to find because like I said it's a bad movie <laughs> I keep saying that uh, he I, the best thing I can say for him is he does the best with what he's sure. given and he has a line that's uh, he says something about like sometimes things go bad and people just can't get back on track and it's such an on the nose line but he does it in this Robert Forster way where he's almost like as the dry cleaner, he's like turning around to hang something up. As he says it, he's like yeah. doing the opposite of, of, of laying it on thick. Uh, and it, it's actually, it actually works in that moment. And it wasn't a way that I realized that it's a dumb on the nose line. Yeah. That's, that's the great thing. Um, like a good actor can take that and rather than seem like they're like, all right, sit down. I'm about to deliver some wisdom to you. Instead, they realize that, well, the character just accepts this as wisdom to such an extent that they might not even see it that way. They might see it as pure common sense that maybe the person they're talking to already agrees with. So it's like, well, obviously I'm just telling you something you already know. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it's, I've said this before. It's one of my favorite moments of uh, the movie Roger Dodger where uh, Jesse Eisenberg is saying to Campbell Scott, like, but you said you could do this. And he, oh, yeah. and he just goes, he goes, yeah, I say it a lot of things. And then he just moves on and he just, he just brushes past it as opposed to like, I say a lot of things like <laughs> I'm a liar. I hate myself. Like he doesn't play it like that. He plays it. He just tosses it off. And in doing so there's st- the power of the line is still there, but he's not underlining it. And yeah, Forrester's great at that sort of thing. Like he can seem like the wisest guy in the world, almost exactly, almost precisely because he's not hitting those lines. Yeah. And I think the next thing, the next thing for me is an example of that. Uh, is it breaking bad? It is breaking bad. Okay. Cause I, okay. Do you want to, cause I was wondering if we should wait until El Camino to talk about his character. I've not bad? seen El Camino. So oh, then you watched it. Okay. So you talk about breaking bad. I'll talk about El Camino. Um, no, I meant to watch it. Uh, it was on my list. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I love, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of Breaking Bad, and uh, but I, is it called Granite State? That Granite episode? State is the episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
it's uh, he plays a guy who just uh, I don't know exactly what his job is well maybe he's oh. not doing it as a function of his job um, well his job is that he owns and operates a vacuum repair okay that i didn't store. i didn't recall um oh, that's this whole thing is it's like that he's like the vac that his nickname is something like that i can't remember what it is they actually make fun of it in el camino that jesse also can't remember what it is so oh, that's funny uh but it, it's something vacuum related and that's why when bob odenkirk meets him in this episode, he's like, Oh, you really do? <laughs> like, you really do sell vacuums or fix vacuums or whatever. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I did not remember that. I just remember that I remember his very matter of fact interactions with Walt that seem th- they're all business, and yet there seems to be a real uh, a sense of connection seems like too strong of a word like this is this guy's job and it's it could be walt for this month and uh, someone else for the next you know but uh but just the way he carries himself uh again i'm gonna come back to this word wounded like you you feel like oh at any moment i could i could watch a whole movie about this guy's life and how he wound up doing this um and uh and just the way that he talks to walt uh is just he seems to have pity for him uh which is understandable because of like chemo and that sort of thing um yeah but he also has uh, maybe i'm just i'm being influenced by where his character is in el camino sure what i was saying before with the descendants thing about like having sort of earned a uh a code there's he has some sympathy, but he doesn't feel sorry for Walt. And that's, right. that, again, that's something that comes up in, in, in El Camino that like he says, you know, your partner made his bet or something like that. Yeah. And it's, and that's the thing is, I guess I, I separate out sympathy from pity. Pity, I feel like comes from a place of uh, sometimes a place of judgment, whereas sympathy, I think doesn't. Um, and so I see him as at best pitying Walt. Um, and, uh, I like that whole episode and I think he's such a great, he's, there's just such a, a grizzled craggy granite quality to him as an actor, certainly by that time. Cause he was getting, he was getting up there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really liked him. And that's the thing is when I saw that he was in El Camino, that was like a big priority for me to watch. And then I, it's unfortunate watching this stuff at the same time that you're watching end of the year stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as I'm sure you can relate to but, uh, but yeah, so is El Camino just in general, is El Camino good? Um, it's worth watching. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's like, my first thought is like, I don't need this. Stop giving me things I don't need. I wouldn't have watched it if it weren't for, okay. I watched it for, uh, research for this. I'm glad I watched it. It feels like it's, um, it's so episodic that it almost does feel oh, like like a mini series, a mini series about like uh, uh, Jesse's adventures. Um, adventures, <laughs> yeah, no uh, misadventures. There we but, go. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah it's uh, the fact that I when I saw that he was in it, I was looking forward to watching it for this this reason. Um, and I guess in a way, it's like, well, it is a 2019 movie. I can kill two birds with go. one stone. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, I wasn't sure how much to prioritize it once I realized I wasn't going to be able to watch it for this. Um, but maybe I'll still watch it. Um, okay, so what's next for you? Well, I guess technically next for me is. Um, 
uh, a movie called Too Late, which is not very good at all. Right, yes. Um, um, it stars uh, John Hawks. Yeah, it also stars Dash Mihawk. Uh, yeah. Re- reunited, I mean, they're not in it together. Yeah. But uh, um, Urban Forster will w- work with John Hawks again in a movie that I watched the other day. Um, it, yeah, the premise of the movie is, or the conceit of the movie is that each scene takes place in one take. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only like five or six scenes in the movie and they're not in chronological order. Okay. Um, it's kind of exhausting. It feels cheap. It feels like overly hard boiled. I didn't hate it. I remember <laughs> our friend, friend of the show, uh, Charlie Schmidlin was like, I ran into him after the, it was at an LA film festival screen. I ran into him after the screening and he was like mad. He hated it so much that yeah. he was like, like in a bad mood about it. I was like, <laughs> I didn't hate it, but it's not, it's not a very good movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, he plays kind of a, um, not a crime boss, but like, uh, I guess a guy who's connected and like well off and kind of, a he plays kind of a piece of shit, which is fine. Uh, that doesn't happen very often uh, in his later, uh, later work. Uh, case in point 2016's the confirmation. Okay, which I didn't see. I remember hearing you talk about it. Yeah, it's it's also not great. Um, but uh, Clive Owen is playing a character who is has his son for the weekend and is um, uh, recently sober and is going through withdrawals while watching his son. Yeah. And Robert Forster plays his AA sponsor. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Next up is a movie that I would love for you to watch. Okay. It's called The American Side. The American side. Okay, here we go. Um, and there's a lot. It's not very good, but there's a lot that I kind of like about it. In that it is, it takes place in the present day, but it is very much uh, a knowing sort of homage to to Philip Marlowe um, type uh, um, detective <laughs> movies. Yeah, looking. At, and, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, summary here. Yeah, following a mysterious suicide at Niagara Falls, a low rent detective unravels a conspiracy to build a revolutionary invention by Enigma scientist, enigmatic scientist Nikola Tesla. Yeah, so we'll get to the, the Tesla Niagara Falls stuff in a second. What I uh, there's I mentioned Philip Marlowe, but um, oh, Harris Ewan's in this. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. No, but that's so funny because when I was. <laughs> When I was watching the movie and his name came up, I had almost the same thought. And I was like, what kind of person am I? Like, who gets excited? Like, ooh, Harris Ewan. Uh, um, That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Robert Vaughn, I see. Um, yeah, he's not in it very much. Okay. But um, Matthew Broderick is one of the bad guys in it. And he introduces um, the detective who's also the writer of the screenplay who stars in it oh, okay. uh, to his sister. And he's like, he's a private detective in the, in the, in the mode of Philip Marlowe. And the detective says, actually, I always liked Mike hammer better. And method brother goes, even your influences are second rate. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. There's lots of like fun dialogue. It's not very well it's put together. Uh, Jenna Ricker is the director. Um, mm. It's, it's kind of, uninspired in the way that it's assembled when there are a couple of action type sequences they're not very well well done um but it has this yeah the weird like supporting you've got this main character greg store is is the actor and the guy who wrote the screenplay who's not 
particularly great. But then you've got all these other character actors who show up, like you mentioned, Harris Hewlin, Robert Vaughn. You've got uh, Camila Bell, Janine Garofalo. Janine Garofalo, yeah. Yeah, Matthew Broderick. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, um, Robert Forster plays... Um, I don't know how much to give away... Um, but no one's going to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Robert Forster plays, uh, Matthew Broderick's former, they used to own a business together, mm-hmm. I think. And there's been a separation of ways. And, um, we kind of don't know like which one of them is pulling the strings and is the bad guy or are they both bad guys? And this guy's caught in the middle. Mm. um, I'll say he turns out to be mostly a good guy. Okay. Um, oh, there's yeah, there's another uh, great character actor um, uh, from Fences. Uh, Stephen is it McKinley Henderson? Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah, he he uh, he's uh, a guy who works for Robert Forster's character. I don't know. There's like he's like a fun goofball. Oh, and the, so the Nikola Tesla thing is that here's the thing a thing that I'm a sucker for because I like you know I, well, I've said before that I don't like well, I usually don't like when movies like are coy about where they take place. Yeah. Yeah. This is the opposite. This is a movie that takes place in the Buffalo Niagara Falls region. It was clearly written to take place there. Mm. Like Nikola Tesla had ties to that area. Like it, it was clearly like written and shot, like written to be, to take place and be shot in Buffalo and at Niagara Falls. And I really am a sucker for that sort of specificity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not a great movie, but at least more fun than some of the other bad movies that I watched for. Yeah. This, uh, and it does have a killer cast. Like I see Joe Grafasi's in there, like just a, re- a lot of great character actors. Yeah. Um, okay. So what's up, uh, what's up next? Uh, sorry. I just lost my place on this, uh, <clears throat> man, I'm, I'm flagging over. Here. Yeah. Uh, my voice is going. Do you need a, a like a Claritin or something? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, okay. So now we have oh 2017 in which I have I think four things. Oh wow. Um, the first two you haven't seen. Um, uh, the first first one is Small Crimes. Unless you have seen that. I have not seen it. Okay, because it's an El Cats movie. I know you like Cheap I, Thrills. Yes. I didn't see Cheap Thrills. I didn't love Small Crimes. Um, and he and he did. Uh, that season of channel zero that I really oh, liked. Right. So in small crimes, um, uh, Nikolai Costervaldo, uh, from game of Thrones, um, plays a, a guy who's recently got a, a former cop who, um, went to prison, recently got out of prison and is, um, uh, also recently sober, but the sort of corrupt cop buddies that, he was working for that put him into prison as much as he's trying to go straight. They're like, basically you better finish the job that you didn't finish six years ago. Gary Cole plays like the sort of head piece of shit. Um, uh, his character's uh, name is Dan pleasant. Um, is it really? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, a decent cast. You've got his parents are Robert Forster and Jackie Weaver. Yeah, that's Um, great. His love interest is Molly Parker, uh, making Blair, making Blair, uh, Uh, shows up our friend Pat Healy is actually really good in it Um, um, Larry Fessenden Larry Fessenden plays a a piece of shit bartender a lot of people in this movie are kind of pieces of shit Um, yeah our friend Pat is actually really good because he is like um, uh, he's the son of a mob boss he's kind of like 
little Carmine, except he's oh, not okay. that stupid, and he's actually probably more dangerous. Okay. So he's, like, threatening, but he's also, like, a dork. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so he's, uh, yeah, he's actually really good in it. But um, the movie itself is just kind of, like, uh, low-rent, kind of ugly. Like I said, a lot of characters are pieces of shit, so it's kind of hard to... Uh, get on board with its view of the world. Yeah. Um, but this is Robert Forster in decent guy mode where he's, um, he's uh, of the two parents. He's the one who's more eager to believe his son has changed and welcome him back into his life. Whereas Jackie Weaver's his mom is still very suspicious of him because mm. he's done a lot of damage to the family over the years. Yeah. Um, it's fine. There's a couple of good scenes uh, between him and Nikolai Kostrovaldo, uh, okay. but not great. Um, <clears throat> but better than the movie that's right after Small Crimes, which is Small Town Crime. Oh wow! Which is another um, John Hawks uh, movie. Yeah, uh, and another like Small Crimes, a movie where John Hawks plays an ex-cop who is who wants to get back on the Ford, who lost, who is also a drunk. Um, this one, he's not in recovery. He's still a drunk. Okay. Uh, it's really then, working for him. Yeah. But then he stumbled like, while he's trying to get back into the, onto the force, he stumbles upon a, upon a case and sort of decides <clears throat> to become a private eye, even though he's not licensed. And that helps him move past to his self pity. And, and hmm. I don't know. So it's another, um, private eye type movie, another fun cast. I know. Um, Anthony Anderson, Octavia Spencer, uh, Clifton Collins jr. Always great. Um, Michael Vartan. Michael Vartan. Yeah. Alias. Uh, big hockey fan. Um, Don Harvey, uh, who was on The Deuce. So I don't know oh, okay. Him. Um, oh, yeah. Dale Dickey, isn't it? Um, but, uh, yeah, speaking of uh, Clifton Collins Jr., again, this is a bit of a spoiler. No one's going to watch it. You can watch it on Netflix. But it's a, uh, a tiny bit of a spoiler is that... Uh, Clifton Collins and Robert Forster end up making sort of an unlikely crime fighting team. <laughs> In a way, I'm kind of overstating it a little bit. But, okay. Um, uh, it's unlikely both because it's Clifton Collins Jr. and Robert Forster, but even within the movie, um, Robert Forster gets involved because his daughter was murdered. His hmm. daughter was, a, or no, sorry, his granddaughter was murdered. She was a prostitute. Clifton Collins Jr. plays her pimp. So it's not likely that they become friends. Yeah. But then as we learn more about the story, we realize that he had nothing to do with her, right. with her death. Death. He's still a pimp. Sure. He's still not a great guy. But um, again, this is Robert Forster in, uh, like American, like the American side, he's playing kind of the eccentric rich guy mm. uh, again, but uh, more of a decent guy. Okay. I don't know. Not, not a great movie, but I watched it. I watched a lot of shitty movies. <laughs> recently so yeah. I'm going to mention it and here comes another one yeah the case for Christ I yeah and this is another uh, essentially like one scene one another part. father role like this is what yeah. he played as he got older um, uh, hell of a wardrobe in this one uh, I don't remember oh well that, this is uh, I, I didn't really love I was it the case for Christ was not bad in the way that I thought it was going to be bad, but still pretty bad. And, cause, and then I read your review after, and you were very charitable, I think, because you were comparing it to other Christian movies. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I was like, yeah, it is better than oh, those. It's but it's fucking Casablanca compared to some of these <laughs> other movies. But I've talked about before how I, uh, I tend to not react well to movies that, like, as a 
liberal or as a progressive or someone like socially progressive or whatever, I don't tend to respond well to movies that are openly pandering to me. Sure. And I kind of realized like, Oh, that's what this, this is the Christian version of that. This is not a movie that's meant to convert atheists as much as it's meant to make Christians feel that they're right. Yeah. And what's interesting is that compared to some of the other pandering, this is quite subtle. Um, because here you have atheist characters that are not monsters. Uh, even, even when they're disagree again, it's compared one reporter. Yeah. The Mike Vogel's friend. Yeah. Who's not a monster, but Mike Vogel's character is an asshole. Right. And what, and one of the things that I think an asshole and I realized that's probably at first I was like defensive, like, Oh, this is what, Christians think all all atheists are just smug, angry assholes. But then I realized that's probably the atheists they hear from the most. So maybe they do think that. And the the vibe I got from the movie, and again, like so much of what I'm saying is just couched in you know what it is. Uh, I got the impression that that's him specifically. Like that this is not a function of his being an asshole. That he's just of him being an atheist. That he's just an asshole. Um, but it's tough because yeah, he's a bad husband. He's not. Yeah. Not a good husband. I remember li- thinking, uh, I remember liking the acting and, and like, I think it's shot fairly here. well. Like and, you mentioned Robert Forster, yeah. Erica Christensen plays his, his wife. I think she got, does a good uh, job too. Faye Dunaway shows up for one. Yeah. There's also, there's a guy, I didn't know him. The doctor is so good. Um, the guy, oh yeah, you've got Frankie Faye's on, but there's, um, a scene because he's he's investigating the whether or not he can prove that the or or cast enough doubt that the resurrection sure sure Jesus didn't happen and so he keeps going it has kind of a I kind of liked the the structure of the movie um, I liked learning about these yeah but, uh, okay so there's Tom Nowicki is the actor mm-hmm. who see. plays the doctor who basically disabuses him of the notion that Jesus may have survived the crucifixion and sure. never been buried uh, it's this guy oh him yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's that's a great scene it, it is a good scene he's really good in that in that scene but yeah I, I, I didn't care for the movie but I was getting to the the wardrobe this is a movie that is it takes place around 1980 and is <gasps> That's everything right. yes. is 1980. Yeah. Including there's a part, there's a shot. It's not in the middle of some like getting ready morning mar- montage. It's actually kind of in the middle of a serious section of the movie, but there's a shot of Mike Vogel putting hairspray on his hair. Yeah. And it just, I was like, why is that in there? But it just seemed like they wanted to cram everything that was like everything that's 1980. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Robert Forster shows up in this like, like, it's a suit, but it's like blue denim with huge that's lapels, right. and he's got a that's uh, right uh, a yellow shirt under with yeah. equally huge. It's not lapels. exactly like a leisure thing, suit, yeah. But, but that thing where the shirt lapels lay on top of the jacket lapels, yeah. he's got that going on. Yeah, um, he uh, pulls it off. Yeah, no, he's he, he's he's good in, in the in the one yeah. scene, but uh, yeah, it's uh, didn't care for the movie that much. Yeah, but then that same year, he was also in Twin Peaks: The Return. Um, uh, playing the other Sheriff Truman. Yeah. Um, I only saw good. a few episodes of it, oh, okay. um, but I remember seeing him in it and yeah, like he plays, a, he's played a lot of cops and he's played uh, a lot of cops, yeah. but also, you know, we've talked a lot about his laconic sort of like delivery. That's a, gr- that is, I'm shocked. It's the first time we've used the word so far. Oh, um, but one of my favorite scenes in Twin Peaks to return is actually him not saying anything for a very long time. Did you see the Michael Sarah scene? Yes. When Michael Sarah shows up and it's kind of like, 
he's trying to say something nice, like give my regards to your brother, Harry, Harry Truman from the original yeah. series, but he's just like very self-indulgent and going on and on forever. And Robert Forrest's character is sort of very like patiently <laughs> yeah. listening to it. It's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, that's like, I guess on the page, it's a monologue for Michael Sarah, but Robert Forrest's character is very much in the scene. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that is something that, uh, that I would like to talk about as well is that, and I mean, this, this could be the case with, with a lot of actors, but, when I do, when I think of Robert Forrester, uh, I do tend to think of his eyes. Mm. Um, he has very soulful eyes that um, can be extremely expressive, uh, and it's worth noting that, like so many of uh, his moments in like Jackie Brown and other things, like when when a person knows how to shoot Robert Forrester, mm. it's usually they frame it in a way that like really focuses on his eyes, and his eyes can, you know, suggest. Uh, a real sadness or real loneliness or happiness. Like when you see him talking with, with Jackie, like his eyes just light up. And in that scene and in other scenes like that, uh, like right before he, uh, uh, hauls off and cold cocks that kid, um, (laughs) he, uh, it's a look of incredulity and like, he's able to like with, with very little expression on his face, able to convey any number of these emotions. Uh, and it, and it's because like just the slightest changes in his eyes and just like listening to Michael Sarah in that moment is very funny. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you get the impression that like, man, this guy's got the patience of, uh, what is it? Job? Yeah. 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 Uh, he also, uh, especially in his later roles, Robert Forster actually reminds me of my grandpa on my dad's side. And mm. the, my, my grandpa also had a very, very dry, sometimes very corny sure. sense of humor, very much a grandpa sense of humor. You know, he built new shelves in the den and was very eager to tell everyone, I'm very proud of my shelf. Uh, <laughs> you see where I get it from. Yes, I do. But also my grandpa was tall, which Robert Forster wasn't actually, but reads He tall. reads, he reads tall. I, yeah, I would I think say he's, he's like 6'2". Yeah, I looked it up, apparently 5'9", which is only... A, That's shorter than me. Uh, is it? Yeah. How tall do you think I am? Because I don't know. I, I mean, think I'm five seven or eight. I go five eight. Five eight. Yeah. Right. Like I know that I'm taller than you, but not by like a crazy amount. I, okay. And I'm five ten. Okay. All right. So I'm five. Let's say five eight. That's what makes me sound sound good. Okay. So then, um, moving on to 2018, and a really great underrated movie from 2018, um, <clears throat> What They Had, directed mm. by Elizabeth Chomko, um, in which uh, uh, Hillary Swank. Uh, is a character who has gone home for home to Chicago for the holidays while her um, marriage to, I think Josh Lucas uh, is uh, mm. kind of on the rocks. And so she's gone with her daughter, Pabetisa Farmiga um, to visit her family in Chicago. Michael Shannon is the brother who is still in Chicago. Mm. Blythe Danner is the mother who is, who has Alzheimer's and our Forster is the, the the father and so it's a uh, um by then i believe it was uh huff's mother yes that's right that's so right. back again how about that uh, i didn't think about that yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> so um it's a uh, it, uh, you never saw it i no, i didn't i, I was i was like while because while, while, i don't like to ask you and i don't like you to ask me when we're preparing for these, yeah. what are you watching? I want it to be a surprise in the right. moment, but I was secretly hoping that you, 
found a way to watch what yeah. they had. And uh, I remember, really I remember like at it. the time you said that it would be my kind of thing. And frankly, with with that cast and with the premise, it's very much my kind of thing yeah. as well. Yeah. So, and I heard that it was really well written too. It's, yeah, it's really it is very well written. I think Elizabeth Jamko. It's her directorial debut, but I think she's a playwright. <clears throat> um, and it's a movie that I think could it could tip too far into being like, Oh, this is a movie about a dysfunctional family, but it's not, it's a movie about a, a family that has problems, but functions in the way that a lot yeah. of family, like a lot of families have problems yeah. and still love one another. And so this thing with, um, <clears throat> the fact that Blythe Danner is, uh, you know, losing her sanity, you know, with the, with the Alzheimer's, um, is obviously throwing things into, uh, it's turning the heat up on some of the existing mm-hmm. problems. Plus the fact that Hillary Swink's marriage is falling apart and she's not telling her family that. Um, <clears throat> uh, but so Robert Forster plays a, it's another dad role, but it's different from the case for Christ where he's not a very good, dad, not a right. very attentive dad or, uh, small crimes where he's an overly forgiving dad here. He's just like, he's a regular guy who is because of his age, he's set in his ways. Yeah. And part of being set in his ways is that he doesn't want to admit fully admit how much of his wife is gone. Yeah. Um, because, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon's character wants to, um, put her in a home somewhere and um, Hillary Swank and Robert Forster are quick to paint him as Hillary Swank especially is quick to paint Michael Shannon is like, Oh, you're just trying to shuttle her off. But he's like, you haven't been here every day for this. Like you don't realize how bad it is. You get to go back to California after the holidays or whatever. Yeah. Um, But uh, the movie is also very funny. It's also (coughs) very, uh, cause I love specificity when it, even when I, I like specificity, even when it's not something I relate to because sure. it's, but here you've got Midwestern Catholics and it's, there's a lot of specificity to that, uh, that I, I really enjoyed the sort of like the way that they, this was okay. Cause I grew up where everyone was Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade before I realized people weren't Catholic. Um, and I remember that, like the first time I saw <coughs> like Protestants or Christians like yourself, like pray before a meal and actually like just say a prayer, like speak from the heart. It was like so jarring to me. Cause to me as a Catholic, you say grace before a meal, which is something you have memorized by rote yeah. and you just say it. And once you're done saying it, everyone gets to eat. And so there's, there's a grace scene in what they had that is, uh, uh, very relatable and, and very funny, uh, to me. Having married into a Catholic family, uh, I remember a few years, uh, m- many years ago, sorry, it was maybe, it certainly wasn't like the first Christmas that I spent with Jen's family. It, it was probably a few years in. Uh, but as we sat down to like, Christmas dinner. Um, Jen, uh, I, I think trying to make a point, I don't know exactly, but she said, Tyler, do you want to pray for us? And I said, yeah, all right. And I was like, but I, I don't know the words. <laughs> and then I realized like, Oh, she wants me to pray, like just pray however I'm going to pray. And so I did. Uh-huh. And I just, you know, it's off the cuff and 
nothing. I didn't throw any crazy curveballs or anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like hail Satan. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, so when I was done, uh, Jen's grandmother, who is just the sweetest uh, woman ever, um, just treated it as, as like such a novelty and yeah. like so refreshing. Uh-huh. And she's she's like that was very nice. And she's like, and again, not in a condescending way. That's not, that's, but she's she's like, she goes, that was very nice. You know, I really felt like you really were uh, like really invested. She didn't say invested, but something like that. And, uh, and on my mind, I was like, yeah, I guess this is a very, like, even though they know that, that there are people that pray like this out there, they haven't encountered many. Yeah, no, you just uh, say grace, which is the... You say grace, yeah. It's the... Well, How do you say it? What is it? Uh, do, you know it? do you still know it? God, it's been so long. Uh, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive. Uh, I can't remember what comes after that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you just you just say it. Like, yeah. But it's... I mean, there's one way to, to say, like, oh, it's like it's lazy or it's uh, not heartfelt, but also a lot of Catholicism is built around ritual. And so yeah. there's something, you know, Jews also say the exact same prayers at, yeah. at, at, uh, at when they're observing certain things. So uh, I'll be defensive and say it's ritual, I but did, within what they, what they had, it's clearly perfunctory. Sure, and it's sure. funny in that, in that moment. Uh, in 2018, he was also in damsel. Damn right. He was, I saw, we, we were both at the same screening, but I, this is a weird memory thing. You understand. We're all film geeks here listening yeah. to this. You understand. I saw what they had in Damsel months apart in the same screening room. I oh, remember, sure. I just remember the stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, we were both at the same screening of Damsel. We didn't sit next to each other. No. I Jen Be- went with me. Yeah, but also because you're, you're still where I was, or at least at that time, you're still where I was as a teenager, which is a back of the theater person i've become increasingly as i've gotten older not because my eyesight is failing yeah but i move closer and closer to the front including especially at that that's the rodeo screening room i sit in the front row there here's well that one i think you can the front row is still quite a ways away there's like is there gonna be like a mosh pit or something like there's such there's that weird space the first like four rows aren't really that well raked so unless you're gonna go to the back if you're sitting in rows two, three, or four, there's a good chance someone's going to block your view. True. So here's I feel like you either have to sit in the front row yeah. or you have to go in the back. Where you're here's the, the reason why I tend to sit in the back in movie theaters is that, uh, or screening rooms is that if someone is talking behind me, I can't ignore, like I have a hard time shutting them out. Okay. If they're in front of me, it's way, way less distracting. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause so, they're talking away from you. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, so, so yeah, do, oh yeah, do you have anything to say about damsel? Yes, it's just one oh, scene. so much. Yeah. It's one scene, but boy, what a great scene! And it's uh, the first scene, yeah, and the it's, opposite of Psycho yeah. or Somewhere Slow. It's he, yeah, he shows up, knocks it out of the park, and then he's gone. He does. Like I, I, you know, uh, that year I incorporated him into my uh, Bruce McGill nominations um, because that's it, damsel. First off, I adore it. I love that movie so much. Um, and I think it's, and it's an, a very offbeat film. And so, and it kicks it off with that scene. All right. It's not merely, Oh, here's a, a, a disgruntled priest, uh, who's disillusioned with life. And he decides he doesn't want to be a priest anymore. And he gives, or a, a pastor or whatever he is. And he, so, so he takes off all his clothes. And so this other guy's like, Oh, I guess I'll just per- act like I'm this. Uh, so it's like from a story standpoint, there's that, but also just, 
you know, we've talked about like this world weariness, but so far it's been world weary, but undeniably sane. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, here we have the same thing that we've seen before, but it's, it's, it's externalized in a way that we haven't really seen up to this point. Um, and like the character is saying kind of this very, uh, sad wisdom and an understanding of the world. And there comes a moment where the character's like, essentially like, you know what? <laughs> That's enough for me. And so he just like gets undressed, uh, in front of this total stranger. He's just had enough. Like he can't keep it all inside anymore. And Robert Forrester is a guy who, uh, as an actor is like specialized on keeping it inside. So this is something I hadn't really seen from him before. Yeah. It's silly. It's sad. It's funny. Uh, and like it is a full fledged, fully developed character in one scene, and he, I think he, like you said, he hits it out of the park. He sets a tone for the rest of the film, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I love him in that movie. Yeah. I really, I really do. Uh, and then finally, there's El Camino, which you didn't didn't watch, um, but uh, he's quite good in it. It's a, it's like I said, the movie's very episodic, so he has one long centerpiece scene that takes mm-hmm. place at his vacuum store. And the thing that I'll specifically call out—that's such a great thing that I love that Vince Gilligan put in—is that there's a whole scene before Jesse arrives at the vacuum cleaner store where this guy that we've seen as a guy who owns a vacuum store, vacuum cleaner store, but specializes in helping people like you know evade the law and get uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and leave town we actually get to see him talking about vacuum repair with marla gibbs <laughs> it's robert forster and marla gibbs is her customer and there's like a whole like probably three or four minute scene of them just talking about her vacuum cleaning oh that's great it's such a great little moment and i love that vince gilligan put that in there yeah uh, for him um yeah i don't know what else to say uh it's a it's a good scene we already talked about the character yeah um and he's just in, uh, he actually does show up, uh, again, very briefly, but it's mainly just the one thing. Uh, so that's, uh, Robert Forster. He's got a couple things in the can. Yeah. Um, apparently the, uh, I think Apple TV plus is rebooting, uh, or reimagining the amazing Stories series. And I guess he's oh, okay. an episode of that, but his last movie, uh, is coming out this spring. I think, um, it's called the werewolf and it's, uh, I'm only aware of it because it's directed by Jim Cummings, who made Thunder Road, which was oh, a short film right. that he then made a feature out of. I never saw the feature, but the short is yeah. is fantastic. Um, so I think, uh, I, according to IMDb, The Werewolf will be his last film, yeah. and we'll see that. Uh, and he plays a sheriff. Uh, uh, is that right? Yep. Oh, yeah, Sheriff Hadley. Um, yeah. I'm trying to see. Oh, it does have a release date, March 20th. Okay. So, yeah, we'll see that. Um, is that the spring, or is it the last day of winter? I know you think of March as the spring. It's firmly in spring. Let's let's find out. Hold on. When is the spring? Hold on. Hold okay. On. Spring equinox, twenty twenty <laughs> Thursday, March nineteenth. So you're right. It will be coming out in the spring. Okay. Yeah. No, I knew. I knew I was right. <laughs> I don't. I don't uh, need you to tell me I'm right when it comes to the seasons. So yeah, um, this is a fun time talking uh, way more about our reports than I thought we would. But, uh, but that's what happens I, when we watch a lot of movies, and I, I'm glad we talked about it. Uh, me too. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, these profiles having become what they have, which is like sort of or obituaries, Tributes, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does. Uh, it brings up this this feeling that I have of like there are so many actors, writers, directors, composers, all of this, and. 
I've just been thinking lately about like just the people that have come and gone. Like I was thinking about, um, well, I was thinking about <laughs> JT Walsh, uh, but I was, uh, I think I might've mentioned it, mentioned him, uh, last week or, or a couple weeks ago. I don't remember. Um, Charles Hallahan, um, he did mention him. who, uh, yeah, cause, cause he was in Dante's peak and he was in the thing and he was in a bunch of stuff and then he died in like 97, uh, or 98, uh, of a heart attack. And he was like in his early fifties, maybe even late forties. Um, and he's just one of those, he was one of those actors that like, there aren't going to be any profile episodes about him, you know? And that makes me sad. And granted, Mm -hmm. he's still in these, in a number of movies that people still watch. Apparently Dante's peak is one of them. Um, and, uh, and so, when I think of somebody like Robert Forrester, who thankfully, be, I think very much because of Jackie Brown, I mean, yeah. apparently he was that's thinking why of most of the episode uh, we talked about was the last 20 years. Yeah. Like, uh, he got this, it, it raised his profile and that's exciting to me. And, uh, I'm glad we were able to talk about him because he's someone that, uh, shows up in a lot of stuff is always reliable, but a lot of non movie people, they might he for some people he's a that guy you know um but uh i like being able to just take somebody who has an uh, an immense body of work that we've only that we only like scratched the surface of uh and and really like delving into who they were as an artist because people like robert forster or charles hallahan or james rebhorn or any or any composers or directors like they're putting as much effort into their work as the actors that you know you know mm-hmm. uh, and so i feel like delving into the craft of somebody like robert forster who it's so easy to take for granted uh is uh is something that i really one of the things that i really like about what this what our profiles have become and so yeah uh and it definitely has given me a desire to go back and uh rewatch jackie brown finish uh twin peaks yeah. and uh, and you, go, you gotta watch what they had what they had el camino and uncle, uncle sam, sam. <laughs> looks pretty good to me <laughs> all right well uh, th- uh you can find us at battleship this week uh i reviewed weathering with you alex reviewed vags um you can email us at david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow tyler on twitter sorry you, you do me first you can follow me on twitter at davy pretension <laughs> Uh, you can follow what I'm trying to remember what else is on the website. Never mind, It's been too long. Um, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Anything you have to plug? Uh, let's see over at, uh, more than one lesson right now, by the time this goes up. Yeah. Okay. So there is a, uh, there's a, a new episode uh, of more than one lesson. It's about once upon a time in Hollywood with the companion film being FW Murnau's the last laugh. Um, I really enjoyed talking about it. It's just me by myself. Uh, and then, um, there have been a couple lists of the best movies of the 2010s. Uh, Bob wrote one, Reed wrote one, uh, Bob reviewed, uh, 1917 and then Reed reviewed a movie called the Sonata, uh, which was, I believe Rutger Hauer's last film. Oh, so, uh, so um, yeah, check that out at more than one lesson.com meant to mention on the website. Scott also reviewed bad boys for life. And the thing I wanted to point out was, uh, we have another top 10, uh, of 2019 list from yes. our friend, Luis Olvera. Yeah. So check that out. And by the, by the time this post, the, uh, gyms will probably be posted okay. as well. Very uh, and the, the BP nominees, uh, have been oh, announced. Yeah. So you can uh, check those out. They are obviously, and as always, 
vastly superior to the Academy Award nominations. Thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 